Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to What A Load Of Cobblers, Friday Night Lights, Northampton Town Audio Show. I'm Tom Reed and tonight I'm joined by Martin Slugger Maloney, Ian Brandt and Jefferson Lake. How's it going, guys? You okay? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Yeah, great to be back. Be back, Tom. Everyone just sounds so downbeat. It's January, <laughs> Cobblers lost against Crawley. Can it get much worse? Oh, I, I, in fact, it can because I'm going to go to you first, Martin, on this. Um, we're recording this on the eve of Boris Johnson getting yet another roasting for a lockdown party. Uh, Martin, I know you're a sort of political thinking guy, unless we get political on Wallach, but Michael Ellis, Andrew Lua, Jefferson Lakes, Bet Noir, Pete <laughs> Bone, Peter Bone, Andrew Ledson, and of course we used to have David McIntosh. What has Northants done to deserve that lot apart from vote for them? <laughs> <laughs> I can only recognize? assume. I can only assume our county upset somebody greatly in a um, in a previous life. <laughs> what do you make of it all, Martin? Without getting into, into detail, <clears throat> just um. Well, I think it's hard. So I think even if I were a Tory, and I'm certainly not, it, it's the most inept leadership you you've ever seen uh, for a prime minister. And what's horrible is the toadying. You know, there used to be a sort of code of honour. If you got caught lying in politics, you got sent to the back benches, maybe did your penance and, and came back, chastened a bit later. Johnson and those around him, they've they've got rid of any dissenting voices in the Tory party except those on the right. And it's sort of absolute failure to take responsibility to show any leadership um, has been a disaster for the country and for that and for that political party. And I hope he gets his comeuppance. Yeah. Sorry, I, I could have tried to be more humorous there, but it, it's just <laughs> it's just bloody grim. Yeah, no, it's, that's a that's a fair summary. I was just when you look at that East Stand at Sixfields, which you know was arranged essentially by a Tory council and facilitated by a Tory council in the state of it, and then you look at so you take that out, you take the um, David McIntosh stuff out, you look at Michael Ellis, who somehow is a paymaster general and he's answering questions for the prime minister, and you have got Andrew Lua who I'm sure Jeff can go on about. He'd probably do a whole show on him. <laughs> Not even from Northampton. Peter Bowie, people like this, like, what What are Northampton-based Tory 
voters getting out of this you know especially working class people i just think like just have, have a little think think about it it's just crazy but let, let's get off the political stuff for a little bit have you got a football moment of the week martin oh uh, yeah a bit a uh, bit bit of an obvious one really but um after they struggled um through two games to um well in struggle second game to, to get past the cobblers cambridge united win at newcastle absolutely brilliant just the sort of stuff you like to see in the fa cup and um Working with a couple of Geordies as well, and a few of my sort of sympathies um, being weir side rather than tie side, I thoroughly enjoyed the banter at work around that as well. Yeah, it was just fantastic to see. I remember going to Newcastle in the League Cup, wasn't it? And you know they they beat us there, and it would just have been nice to um, to have won that. And you can just imagine how the Cambridge fans felt in that moment. They're probably up in the gods, I should imagine, um, as we were in, in St James's Park, just a. A fantastic moment and quite a few upsets, which has uh, opened up another can of worms about the terrible games that TV choose, uh, chooses to televise. So uh, that was that was a that was a good one. And um, hopefully we'll see, you know, either a non-league club or a league club sort of get a little bit further. Um, Ian, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about televised stuff, actually, because not everyone knows it, that you are a bit of a TV bus, a buff in your spare time and that you're after Tim Oglethorpe's Sunday paper column. Yes. That he writes about TV. Quite, You're quite, quite open about that, aren't you, Ian? Yeah, quite... I am because not just not just because of my love of TV. I it, just like Tim, I went to work for the Daily Mail because despite everything you've said so far, that is the pe- that is the newspaper that speaks for Britain, and I want to get my views across in in the in the pages of the Daily Mail. <laughs> that that sounds perfectly logical. Um, a lot of the time, I'm in the newsagent, and a lot of people are buying that newspaper. So yeah. Um, I've seen you makes sense. the news agent. Um, you weren't buying the Daily Mail, mate. No, it was just strictly razzle. Yeah. <laughs> but as, yeah, I was going to ask you, because this week we were talking about um, there's a new Grange Hill, isn't there? A new Grange Hill film being mooted. Do you reckon it's going to come off? <sighs> yeah, I was thinking about this because um, Boreham Wood won in the Cup, didn't they? Against yeah. um, AFC Wimbledon. And that's like stones throw away from where they filmed eastenders their new set and grange hill and holby it's just finished there do i think the grange hill movie will come off phil redmond is he has these ideas um they don't always come off you know he's one of these kind of like he's like an ideas man and sometimes they do and obviously you know grange hill rookside Hollyoaks, you know, and other times they don't. I mean, if they bring back like Grange Hill now and bring out the like, they're all like they're really getting on now, aren't they? Like the, the kids who went to Grange Hill originally, like late seventies, early eighties, is like. I mean, Todd Carty must be what in his sixties now. Well, I think so, he, was a, he was a copper last time I saw him, and not a, and a very yeah, naughty that, one. That was a while back. <laughs> that was a while back. So there you go. Anyway, Ian, yeah. what? What cobblers managers do you reckon would make, or cobblers players or managers would make uh, good Grange Hill characters? I was thinking, A.D. Boothroyd as Mr. Bronson, and maybe Akin Femmer as Roland. That's a bit hard. I mean, A.D. <laughs> Boothroyd would have said that about. <laughs> AD, oh my God, who would be his um, Janet Sinclair? I only want to help you, Bayo. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave you to think about that. You can think of something by the end of the show. That's your little challenge. Okay. Um, right. Of course, the only realistic school programme ever really is Saved by the Bell. Uh, yeah. You know, tough storylines. Yeah, like... 
Yeah, that's made a comeback, hasn't it? And that, I don't think he's supposedly not very good. No, without Screech, it's sort of lost its soul, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah, he, he offended them all anyway, didn't he? He fell out of them. Oh, sorry. You're right, Martin. Yes, sorry, I just walked into the cat. He was meowing at me. <laughs> <laughs> That's your excuse. Irish PCA, listen to this show and get around to slugging off. <laughs> oh, no, well, <laughs> so, yeah, have you got a football moment of the weekend? Yeah. Um, Mbappe, really good article on the Guardian website. Apparently, he's he, he's done his come and get me plea to Real Madrid. And do you know how, how he's done it? No. Where is He's commissioned a 220-page graphic novel, which is <laughs> full of like basically references where he says how much he's always wanted to play for Madrid, and and, and in one in one scene, um, he he talks about a dream he had as a, when um, Ronaldo and Zinedine Zidane appeared and handed him a Real Madrid kit, and it it is you know biographical, and he talks about when he signed for. Um, PSG, how he's oh, it's okay, but it's not Madrid. I, mean, I don't think that's ever been done, has it? No, I yeah. When you said graphic novel, I thought though. we were going back to Razzle again. I'm just trying to work out how a 222 page or how many ever page. That's quite a long book, by the way. Is going to go down with a Real Madrid executive? Do you reckon it just gets chucked straight in the bin? They're like, yeah, I'm not sure about that one. Know. Is it the equivalent, Jeff? Of um, do you remember in, we were talking about Danny Jackman this week? Very good player. Cobbler's um, left back. You, there was that that move, wasn't there? That upset everyone. Did he go to Gillingham? Was it? Was that he was did, that preempted yeah. by uh, Danny Jackman sending a like a written missive to Gillingham saying, "Please come and get me." He did a um. What he did was he did like um a thirty thousand word epic poem, <laughs> and, um, and read read it out on. It was recorded on the, the answering machine at Priestfield, and yeah. he just read it out, and then um. Whoever was the manager at Gillingham listened to it and thought, oh, "This is it's convinced me." This Roger yeah, Jackman back in the building. It's one of those ones that could go either way, couldn't it? Because that could easily just be um, deleted. He he spent maybe three or four hours reading out this. Well, you have to do it in several calls because you only get a it's a it's a limited period of time, isn't it, to record? So yeah. So he did it in about seventeen or eighteen calls. Mm. But it was worth it in the end. He got his dream move back to. Uh, the romance, romantic priest, uh, Priestfield, isn't it? Gillingham. Yeah. And that lovely ground. It was his dream to play at again. And they probably like put out on excerpts on Club Call afterwards. You can listen to. This is part one of Danny exactly. Jackman's. But at like 0.7 speed. <laughs> so it was. So they got that all the extra money off these poor children that were <laughs> phoning these numbers. I was going to say, when I'm recording this podcast, I, would, I feel like when Ian Atkins used to do Club Call, like the background noise, you know what I mean? My kids are as good as gold, and then I'm coming here to record, and I can hear, like, what they, like, parties, the kazoos, we had them out for New Year's Eve, and all of a sudden they start blowing on them and all kinds of noise. <laughs> like, it's like the dog barking in the background. I haven't even got a dog. <laughs> they had those kazoos, and they were, they were saying... These we're a bit bored of these now, but let's wait till the wait till the old man's doing his podcast. We'll whip them out exactly, and it will be a right laugh. All I wanted to do was to just chat with like-minded blokes about you know none of this non-woke PC rubbish. Have a good old fireside chat, putting the world to lights. (laughs) Yeah, bloody kids. 
Did um, would club call like that then? Would it be Ian Atkins trying to do an interview and then you'd hear like Carl Heggs being a rogue in the background messing about? I, you know, jog- I read that. I never called club club call, but I read that in Wallach. In, there was a spoof advert in Wallach about <laughs> club call, and it was saying, "Listen to, listen to, you know, exclusive audio of Ian Atkins creaky door and dog barking." <laughs> listen to him talk about the. Uh, yeah, this case is, you know, in, injuries he's got to deal with while a dog barks in the background. <laughs> Did you hear, could you hear like David Seal like locked up in a cupboard with gaffer tape over <laughs> his mouth? Like, I think it was Andy Bodfish who, can't make it this week, but I think he ran up a bill of several thousand pounds ringing up Club Call on his dad's phone. He's just about paid it back now. That's what he said. Several shifts. He told his dad it was Copper's Club Call, but yeah. <laughs> Andy, what is this 0800 number doing on my thing? It, oh, Dad, it's Cobbler's, Cobbler's Club Call. He doesn't. He's a, Andy doesn't want to do ski jumping commentary. He's just doing it to pay off the unassumed debt. Well, we don't even know what it is. Some sort of 0800 number. They deduct from his Eurosport wages. Yeah, there are there are helplines out there, Andy, that are free to get you over this uh, bad period, but we'll help you. Um, Jeff, have you got a football moment of the week, mate? I have, but um, I feel I fear it's one that's not going to be particularly interesting to the readers. So before I, before I give you it, I'll give you a, a fun Grange Hill fact, at risk of this becoming a Grange Hill podcast. Um, I don't know what that would be called, suggestions on a postcard. Ian, Ian you know everything about TV, and you know, you'll know everything about Grange Hill as well. Anne Wilson... The character Anne Wilson, who was in the first series of Grange Hill, I've start, I've just mm. recently started to rewatch. We're just getting into the Benny racism stuff. Very gritty. Mm-hmm. Um, Anne Wilson was played by an actress called Lucinda Duckett. Do you know what job she does now? She's not an actor oh. anymore. Oh no, go on. She is. I'll read her job title out for you. She is the director of corporate affairs and editorial advocacy at GB News. GB News. I did know that. Yeah, GB News. Yeah, I did wow. know that. We need yeah. to get her on the podcast. Yeah. When we yeah. do the Grange Hill podcast, there is one. There is. There is a really good. There is a really good Grange Hill podcast started a few months ago, and he basically he just interviews all the cast like one after another. Um, I need to hear that. Yeah. Diff- yeah, and it's really good. It's really, mm. the latest one actually is like it's out of our era. It's like the guy who's in it towards the end, but kind of gives a lot of insight into um, what was what was going on. But yeah, and I think with this latest news, I saw some stuff on Twitter. I think he's going to get Zamo on there as well. That I mean, oh, that'll nice. be. If he gets Zamo on there, he can clear up a massive continuity bugbear I've got of the Grand Hill Christmas Special 1985. It does not fit into any continuity, <laughs> and if he doesn't address that. I'm going to be a bit annoyed. Uh, yeah, this is where we are. This is where we ask the big questions, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. indeed. Zamo's done well for himself. Zamo's done well. Like, I know that he's a locksmith by trade. I don't know how, mm. like, because he's just on TV a lot. Like, he's just he's a locksmith, isn't he? Ian? Yeah, he does acting on the side, doesn't he? He's been in the Bill and EastEnders and stuff. But played yeah, for, he does. Um, he... Played for Liverpool as well. Leeds United had a quite good career. Robbie Fowler, no? Okay, just me. <laughs> But yeah, um, lookalikes part one. <laughs> uh, Jeff, have you got a football moment of the week? Yeah. Mate? 
So my football moment of the week was um, I scored a chip in five aside on Monday. Very, very rare to score a chip in five aside. Nice. But we were we had an extra man, so they had a rush goalie, and their goalie came screaming out, and it just stabbed it, dinked it straight over him, and it bounced before it went in. It was beautiful. Um, I can't think oh, of sure anything else. Over. So I'm just gonna have to go with that. Sure, it wasn't over. <laughs> that is height. your football of the week. <laughs> yeah, we don't play. We don't play head height in that. Ian, Ian, um, Ian has since departed this Monday night that we play in after introducing me. Um, probably because yeah. we don't play things like head height, and it's just it's a bit of a um, oh yeah, did yeah. No rules. Yeah, was I it like Sean Parashesk? Sean Parashesk, uh, Jeff. It was. Oh, well, I wasn't. Um, oh. I wasn't running with the ball. It just came to me, so I just dinked it. Yeah. It was really nice. More a bit like Cantona. Do you remember that? Chimney? Yeah, that it was exactly like that. Exactly like that. Exact Same celebration as well. I had my collar up and everything. Right then, let's move on to Saturday's top three clash with Forest Green Rovers at Sixfields. We've got Brendan Walsh joining us from the Northampton end. And we're pleased to be joined by Forest Green Rovers reporter for Gloucestershire Live, Laurie Martin. How are you doing, guys? You OK? I'm good, thank you, mate. Good yeah, stuff. very well, thank uh, you. Good stuff, Laurie. Um, how are you doing, Laurie? It must be pretty fun reporting on Rovers this season, sitting pretty at the top of League Two. Yeah, you can't really moan, can you? Uh, <laughs> only been, what, two league defeats to report on all season. So, yeah, life's always much more enjoyable when... You know the, the team. The team you're covering is winning, and when you support them as well, that uh, sort of makes makes it even better. Makes it the dream job. Uh, stuff was, you know, pretty good last season. Couldn't really complain. Although Forest Green went through a couple of months uh, of a sticky patch. You know, it, they still, you know, won more than they lost and had a playoff campaign to report on. But yeah, this season really taking it to new levels. Yeah. We... We had sort of experience of that sort of run ourselves in 2015-16 when we, uh, I think we got 99 points that season. Um, I've seen some projections which suggest Rovers can actually break the 100-point mark this year, this season. Do you reckon that can happen, Laurie? Well, I mean, obviously, last night Forest Green made the 23-game mark and it's very easy to do calculations like that, isn't it? Because you times the games by two to reach uh, 46, so you times your points by two. So it's a pretty basic way of doing it, but Forest Green if they were to pick up the same amount of points, we'd finish on 102. Um, I was looking at that Northampton run yesterday, actually, and <laughs> obviously Forest Green weren't in League Two at that point, so didn't uh, pay particular attention, although obviously I knew you were a very good team. You went like 24 games unbeaten, which is absolutely ridiculous. Had a very good second half of the season. Um, I, I'm Because I'm you know, a fan of the club, it's, it's still one of them where I don't think, you know, Forest Green are, are promoted yet, you know. Um, other fans will look at it and go, you know, they're they're up already. Who's going to catch them? But, you know, you always have that nagging doubt as a fan. So, for me, it's Forest Green have got to get that P next to their name. Once they do that, or if they do that, then it's about getting the C next to your name and then, you know, focus on, on records and stuff. Yeah, I think, looking back at the 2015-16 season, it was... Pretty unexpected. We obviously had a fantastic manager in Chris Wilder. We probably didn't realise quite how good he was at the time. But it just sort of unravelled in front of our eyes. Or, you know, it just happened, you know, week by week. And it built and built. And we had massive financial problems, which were just hanging over everything. So it was a bizarre season. But I just think it's one of those seasons where you just sit back and let it let it happen. And, yeah, no, not worry too much about how many points 
Rose are going to get. Just just enjoy the quality players they've got on display, which is sort of quite ominous for Saturday for us, Brendan. But um, uh, Brendan, is, is is Forest Green a team that's impressed you from what you've seen here and there this season? Yeah, I mean, we were, we were talking about it earlier. The only real comparison I could give it was, you know, the our, our uh, championship winning side in 15-16. I think that's the only time we've really seen a League Two side this dominant and that that 24 game um, beaten stretch that you're referring to there it's kind of you can't you guys are in that mode at the moment it just seems every week you're blowing these teams out and it's the same couple of players the same names that you always see scoring or or, or you know putting in a good performance um you've just hit that that purple patch that you need when you you want promotion you want a championship where it's just consistency and like you know two three nil wins every week it seems so simple when you when you look back at the set of results but it's so hard to do in practice so yeah I've been really impressed and, and again we were saying earlier that it's not like they've gone out and spent mega bucks in the summer and brought in players um on an inflated wage budget that are now producing it's some players that have been there for a couple of seasons on the most part and and bought into it and and finally starting to you know, find the consistency that maybe they showed in patches. So, yeah, I've been really impressed. Yeah, I think if you're a well-run club like Rovers are, especially in the pandemic stage, it, it doesn't, like you say, need mega bucks to be spent. It can just be some quite cohesive infrastructure and just a, a well-run club which can do the job. And that seems to be working at um, Forest Green at the moment. Um Laurie, it looks like an intriguing tussle tactically. We had a bit of a joke the other day about um, some of the stats. I was looking at some of the stats on who scored. They're, they're fairly basic, but they're quite sort of telling in some ways. Um, Rovers have scored the most goals in open play in the league with 33, whereas Northampton have scored the least, funnily enough, even though we're quite up, high up there with uh, only nine. Um, Cobblers are quite a way ahead in the league with set-piece goals with 15 which are the most in the division uh, compared with Rovers 9. That's not too shabby for Rovers, but you can see what I'm sort of getting at, um, Laurie, that there's, you know, I wouldn't say a clash of styles, but it's going to be in, in sort of an intriguing tussle, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. I remember there being a stat towards the start of the season. I don't think you scored your first goal from open play until like five, six games in or something like that. You know, it was just all, all set pieces and, you know, that is an obvious threat of Northampton. I think everyone knows that with Horsfall and Guthrie, you know, 10 goals between them. And that is going to be a threat, something Forest Green will have to deal with. And it's something I'm sure Rob Edwards will probably adapt to. I think Dan Sweeney will probably come in, who's basically Forest Green's most physical centre-half, just to deal with that threat from set pieces. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think, you know, it is, a, it is a bit of a clash of styles in terms of, you know, North Northampton very... Set set piece heavy, uh, certainly look like that anyway. Forest Green can mix their game up really well, getting the ball wide, um, decent from set pieces as well. They can counter well, but yeah, it, it, I, th I think um, you know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Northampton look like they look like they've been going four at the back this season, which will help Forest Green. They, you know, teams do sometimes match them up, choose to man mark the wing backs and. That's where Forest Green have had their most difficulty this season, coming up against teams who play a three or five at the back and just not getting as much luck through Nicky Cadden and Kane Wilson, who have been two of the star players and Rovers' chief creators this season. So, you know, if Northampton do play a four, I think that'll probably play into Forest Green's hands. I think, I think they can dominate the flanks better that way. 
but yeah, it'll be it'll be definitely be a, a real tough test. I don't think uh, Forest Green are going to blow Northampton away. Definitely. Yeah, I've talked about a few of the stats there, and maybe being slightly unfair, maybe the stats can cloud certain elements of Northampton's play, Brendan, because if you look at some of the stats, it, they're quite similar to Keith Carroll's time, but they, you can't really compare the two, can you, um, Brendan? No, not at all. Uh, I think we, we attack we attack very differently, even, even if the the outcome is the same in, this, in a set-piece goal. It felt very kind of hit and hope sometimes under Carl and playing percentages, whereas I think uh, with, with Brady, it's a lot more measured and deliberate. Um, there's an emphasis on wide players, an emphasis on stretching the pitch. And just with the players that we've got at the moment, we're, we capitalise on the set pieces that that brings. Um, I, you know, I, we're, under Curl, it was very much like deliberately playing for those set pieces and huge long throws and, yep. and uh, aerial bombardment of a box. Um, whereas this seems to be like a byproduct of the way that we play and then we make the most of it. Um, I think it was, it's interesting... What you said there, Laurie, like the the matching, we we, we tried to match. Um, I think in the home fixture, I remember we didn't play, we didn't start with Mitch Pinnock and Dylan Connolly, which you know it was like five or six games into the season, wasn't it? It was mid September. So, but if you said now, you know that Mitch Pinnock wasn't starting on the Saturday, Cobbers fans would have a meltdown. Like he's he's definitely turned it on and showed his class, and he's one of the main um, you know threats really from set pieces in terms of delivery. So yeah. I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see what we do. I don't think he can if he wants to match up and play out wide, uh, you know, match you guys out wide. He can't drop Pinnock again. Um, and even if even if we did do that, he changed it after like an hour or seventy minutes. I seem to remember last time anyway because it wasn't working. Um, uh, granted, that was when we then conceded, but the there hadn't been that much quality on show that that whole game. And because I, I, I was at the game in. Uh, Forest Green. And I seem to remember the ball into Jamil Mapp for the goal was literally the the, the only bit of quality we, we saw all day and then he, he finished it really well. So if we can keep players like Mitch Pinnock on the pitch on Saturday and, and get a little bit better delivery into the box and then I hope we can make the most of a set piece and, and nick a win. That's a good point about Northampton being measured in comparison to Keith Curls, we used to call it curl ball, didn't we? It was a bit sort of chaos and just feeding off what what you had. You had um, people like Callum Morton that were very live to those sort of chances. Perhaps our players were a bit more, um, you know, not slow off the mark, but yeah, they need a bit more, a few more quality chances to put the goals away. But um, I suppose we, we'll move on to Laurie. What sort of team do you reckon will, will take the field against Northampton and who should we look out for? Oh, as you imagine, that's quite a difficult task with the with the way Forest Green are playing at the moment in terms of like everyone's standing out. Um, you know, Kane Wilson has has been absolutely in- incredible this season. His his improvement um, from last year has just been so vast. He struggled with injuries last season, missed basically all of the first half of the season. Um, but his his dribbling is is incredible, and I don't think. Um, you know, his, his roles changed too much or anything like that. All the, the players, you know, a lot of players have improved this season, a lot of individuals, and basically all of them just put it down to confidence and belief, which is one of yeah. Rob Ed- Edwards' main strengths, um, you know, man, man management. And putting, putting uh, an arm around a shoulder, that, that sort of management. So that definitely Kane Wilson, um, Forrest Green, 
you know, so far so good in January. They've kept on to all of their assets, but it would be it it would be massive if they you know hold on to him come February the first or second. And it's the same with Nicky Cadden on, on the other side. Who, you know, makes so many crosses, takes takes so many shots, really aggressive left wing back. And he was he was quality last season as well. But again, I think in terms of numbers, uh, he's taken his game on a level in terms of goals and assists. But they're our, they're our biggest threat. You know, that's most of our goals this season have come from getting that ball wide, one-on-one dribbling, uh, individual quality of Cadden and Wilson crossing into Jamil Matt and Matty Stevens in the box. So I think the last player I will just shout out is um, another one who's come on leaps and bounds this season is Jordan Moore Taylor and everyone's heard of JMT because he's been around this level for for ages you know I think he's 28 later this month so he's he's been around for a while uh, with Exeter and MK Dons um, you know made two playoff finals uh, one promotion with MK as well but yeah he has he taken his game on so much better this season last season Mark Cooper played him as a centre midfielder and, and to be fair for for all the criticism Mark Cooper comes in for from our fans, that's where I thought he, he played his best games last season as as sort of a, a ball player midfielder in front of the back four or three. This season, middle of the back three, made an incredible block slash clearance last night um, whilst the game was at 1-0 in stoppage time. Yeah, uh, Absolutely outrageous, sort of back heel off the line. So he's, he's another one to watch out for. You know, you've spoken about Horsfall and Guthrie being a couple of the best defenders in the league. I think JMT is right up there as well. This is a worryingly high number of good players that are just rolling off the tongue for you guys. And yeah, uh, goals are flowing for Forest Green. Brendan, less so for Northampton. And I saw you put a little tweet out about what sort of side you're, you're looking to see on, on Saturday. Chanka Zimbaras to start, would you say? Yeah, I think so. It was it was one of the, a, a weird cameo he had for his debut on Saturday, um, just gone. I don't know if it's because uh, he's got um, uh, already like a cult name or just because we're <laughs> devoid of, of quality at top this season which seems weird to say for a team in third place but it it felt like the whole game people just wanted to see him come on like it's not you know he's played 45 minutes in the championship for Cardiff it's not like he'd scored a load of goals elsewhere and everybody's excited to see him play it was but there was definitely like an atmosphere and energy of like when are we going to get to see him on and he nearly scored with his first touch um you know, you could say it was a bad miss. It was the edge of six yard box and he's lifted it over the keeper and hit the crossbar. I think it's one of those. It's a tough one. Um, I'm more uh, enthused that he got in the in the right spot and, and got a toe on it. He had a one-on-one that was, uh, the keepers pulled off a worldy save. Um, and then he could have got um, lucky with a few few bounces and stuff later on in the game. But the the first thing I noticed was, was his movement. Like, I, And I really liked Atete. Um, I thought he was a different kind of striker to to what I think Zimba will be, but um, you don't see the the same kind of movement and pushing and pulling of defenders with with your runs that um, Zimba made on Saturday, and and that kind of that that was what I was more looking for. And you know, is there is there going to be whenever you get these lads that come from academy level, um, it, it's that that kind of nous of like how to make space in a box that you, that comes yeah. with experience. That's why the kind of journeyman poachers like you know Andy Williams or even Mark Richards going further back well they still get contracts and they still get goals because they're, they're honing their craft and he seemed to have that in the 20 minute cameo we saw of him so I think he's done enough to, to earn a start um, he, he played well off Kabamba so I don't know if you know Brady might be brave and play two up top and go Kabamba and Zimba it doesn't feel like 
him. I don't think we can afford to lose this game after losing two on the bounce as well. So I feel like he'll probably try and put an extra body in midfield and we'll go 4-2-3-1. And if that's the case, I'd like to see Zimbra up top on his own. Why not? Um, I really like Rose, but I, it's just not working for him at the moment. The ball won't bounce for him. Um, if he is picked, you know he'll, he'll run. Um, I don't think he'll get us a goal, but I, you know he'll run and do the defensive uh, side of it. But yeah, I think it's got to be Zimba to start. And the rest of the team pretty much picks itself at the moment. I think there's a few question marks on Paul Lewis, just because he's been a bit uh, quiet since since he scored that hat-trick a couple of weeks back. But um, yeah, I, I think the rest of the team pretty much picks itself at the moment. Um, we've, we've stayed pretty consistent with our team selection throughout our decent run that's taken us into the autos. And, and once we kind of get settled on, on who should be playing up top, I think we should try and keep it consistent in who we're picking. Yeah, there's a couple of points with that. The first one is that obviously Northampton need to be quite clinical with the fairly sparse amount of chances we create to finish off tight games, which it might be on Saturday. Second thing, you know, Kabamba and Zimba just sound like a fantastic forward. Yeah. What, just, just name alone. Just it sounds box office, doesn't it? Laurie, is there any Northampton players that worry you most? Or... Um... I, th- I think um, I think you know the the the, t- the two centre backs from from set pieces because it is an abnormal you know amount of goals. It you know I know Hoskins has got seven or eight this season, but that is sort of your main source of goals anyway in terms of um, in, in terms of how they come from from set piece situations. So they're, they're obviously a massive threat and Forest Green, um, whilst have, having a very good defence, which is coped well this season with basically every challenge it's had. It's, it's not particularly tall and physical. Um, I remember the um, the game at the New Lawn. I remember McGowan making an, an absolutely ridiculous goal line clearance again, just talking about Jordan Moore Taylor's there from last night. And I, I remember McGowan making one, which was was, was just as good. Um, so so that, that sticks out to me as well. But in, in terms of, I, I'd have to say, and I, you know, I don't mean to to sound to sound harsh or anything here, but in terms of attacking quality compared to you know the other challenges in this league like ourselves, Orient, uh, Port Vale, I'm I'm not entirely sure Northampton's compares you know too favourably in terms of th- those striking options. Obviously, you know Pinnock's a very good good player for this level, um, but but no, it, and in terms of you know that game from earlier on in the, in the season as well, the the one nil victory. It, it was fairly eventless, and I don't think Northampton had that first had their first shot on target until about the 86th minute or something like that. So there wasn't, you know, it was quite a, quite a toothless performance, even though they were very hard to break down and, and competed well in the game. So I, th- I think it's, you know, I do think the game could well be settled on sort of, uh, you know, low margin stuff. So I'd say it's it's again just dealing with dealing with that threat from from set pieces. Although you know, I know. You're, you're about much more than, than, than just the set pieces. Mm, that's, that's a reasonable summary. Uh, Brendan, any particular players from Forest Green that got you in a bit of a sweat? Oh, God, where do you start? Uh, <laughs> I think. I'll Try and nail it down to one or something. <laughs> I think yeah, just, I mean, he got the goal on um, when, when we went up to, to Forest Green last time. And yeah, he kind of reminds. 
what we thought we were going to get out with Dane Oliver and then what he ended up being at Gillingham. <laughs> That's what the, um, Forrest Green have got with Jamil Matt this season. And he's just an absolute monster in the air. And, and he's even shown this season, like, he, you know, he can play on, on the floor as well. He brings in, he, he either holds the ball up and brings in his wide plays very, very well, or he finishes um, what, what they, you know, provide him with. So, yeah, Jamil Matt for me, he's he's the threat. I think I'm right. He's the leading goal scorer in League Two, or he's got to be up there if he's not. I swear he's on about 14, 15 goals. So, mm. you know, uh, Guthrie and and Horsfall will have their hands full. I, I I'm I still think they're the best centre backs in the league. You've got to have uh, faith in them after the performances they've had. But we saw how how they dealt with uh, McCurdy and Simpson against Swindon. Um, I think Forest Green. It's a similar kind of threat. Simpson and, and Jamil Matt are both two big physical strikers. And then um, McCurdy is similar to like uh, Cadden or someone like that that tends to nip around them and pick up the, the seconds. So, um, yeah, we'll see. They'll have their hands full and he'll definitely be who I'm looking out for. Is Matt likely to play, uh, Laurie? Yeah, yeah. He, um, I, don't, I don't know if you saw his goal last night, but... Um beautiful back heel into into the far corner so he's on 15 for this season yeah uh, he's, he scored 16 last year so he's he's gonna overtake that um yeah for me pound for pound the best striker in the league probably he just finishes everything although he's obviously very lucky to have the service that he does creating lots of high quality chances yeah back in the day i remember northampton were allegedly interested in him but obviously that that boat has sailed we'll see how we get on we're um uh, I've spoken to a few Cobblers fans, and uh, we, I'm not saying we're feeling a little bit shaky now, but we're we're ahead of schedule, being third in the league. And sometimes you think that maybe we're just sort of punching slightly above our weight, but it'd be a great ch- test of that on Saturday. Let's finish off with some score predictions. We'll go to you first, Brendan, from Northampton perspective. What do you reckon the score will be? I, I said to Laurie earlier, I'm going to go with my my uh, gut and I'm going to say 1-0 Cobblers and uh, I reckon we'll, we'll nick it off a set piece um, as we've done quite a few times this season against against the better sides. Brendan has just had an operation. I still think his medication's still kicking <laughs> in on that one. Uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not on the, uh, on the morphine. <laughs> I'm going to go 2-1 to Forest Green, unfortunately. I just think that the quality will pay in the end. What about you, Laurie? Yeah, I do think Forest Green will win. And when they win, they usually do it by more than one goal. I think 12 of the 15 wins this season have been by two or more. So I'm going to go 2-0. But the way I'm looking at it as well is Forest Green have now got such a buffer over Tranmere and Northampton that they don't have to win this. They'd be more than happy with a draw because it means Northampton aren't going to make up any ground. So I would happily I, take a draw at this point. I'd snap, I'd snap your fingers after, after losing the last two. I think we could just do with stopping the rot. And and a point um, at home to a team like Forest Green in this form is nothing to be sniffed at. So if we yeah. can shake hands on that now, we'll call it a draw. <laughs> yes, we we'll shake hands on that now, and we'll just go for a beer. But uh, <laughs> thanks uh, both of you for joining us. We're going to hopefully meet up on Sunday for a post-match chewing the fat sort of thing. But until then, um, enjoy the match, guys, on Saturday, and um, we'll speak again soon. Sounds. Cheers, that guys. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Okay, and aside here, I'm pleased to be joined by Jay Cave, campaign manager for Against League Three, and Martin Caladine, aka Ugly Game on Twitter, who's a football reform advocate with an interest in American sports. They've got together to write the hit football book, Fit and Proper People, The Lies and Fall of Owner FC, 
I might be pushing it with hit, but it's definitely um, been well received, guys. Yes, absolutely. We, we, I mean, we think we're happy with how it's gone at the start, Ryan. I think we're, we're quite pleased with the, the initial reaction. Yeah, future hit, we'll call it. Yeah, well, I've seen, I think sometimes these how these things work is it's not necessarily like flying off the shelves or being, you know, however it works now, downloading or whatever. It, uh, there's quite a few people I've noticed sort of retweeting and talking about it that are fairly influential. So um, I think it's pretty good. And it's obviously um, just an interesting and staggering subject because when you were writing it, we had the odd conversation about it. And I knew a little bit about Owner FC, which we'll go into. Um, Martin, if you just give us the rundown on what the book is about, like I said, it's a staggering story, not just in terms of the ill-fated owner FC, but also had implications on both of your lives, hasn't it? Sure, yeah, it has. Well, I mean, some of your audience may remember about uh, like about March 2019, um, a company called Owner FC popped up, and they were on the BBC. They had did uh, they were on Granada TV. They had loads of publicity. They were in a number of the national dailies, and they had this pitch, which was essentially download the app. Uh, pay us 49 quid and together we'll pull that money and take over a, a football club, a league football club, and we will run it, controlling pretty much every aspect of the business and a substantial amount of the kind of on-field activity via this app. So kind of, you know, not just crowdfunded, but kind of crowdsourced running a football club. Yeah. And um, and James and I, you know, like a number of people immediately, like, one, that, that's a really troubling idea because, you know, this is you know, a digital consortium of people coming in potentially to buy an existing club and and run it away from their existing fans. And so it kind of like there was the danger that it didn't have the money of a, of a big new owner who at least has the advantage of deep pockets, maybe. But it also didn't have the advantage of kind of um, a fan ownership, which is you know, that deep personal connection to it. So yeah. we started to kind of look into that. And, and the more we did, I mean, we heard from customers that were unhappy, you felt that the thing was kind of unclear, they weren't sure where their money was going. And it seemed like there was kind of problems with the kind of the practice of it, as well as the principles. And, and we seemed to discover that the people running it were not necessarily straight shooters. And within a couple of weeks, again, you, you, your audience may remember, it, it, it collapsed in kind of like a, a complete disaster when they tried and failed to take over a football club. Um, and that was essentially, for most people, kind of the end of the story. Hundreds of thousands of pounds was handed over in, in short order by football fans from different parts of the country, indeed different parts of the world. Um, and then the company closed. The, the kind of the, the broader story behind that, which is where James and I come in, is that as part of kind of trying to uh, unravel what was going on and tell that story as part of the collapse is that it turned into a kind of a, a wild nightmare of, of kind of intimidation and violence. Um, which was kind of like this rage was turned by the owners on the people that had bought into it and on those who'd been reporting it. And it kind of, you know, um, part of one of the things that's covered in the book is that it, it resulted in, in the guy who ran it turning up on my doorstep one Sunday without warning and beating me up. And um, while that was an absolutely horrific experience, this kind of, that, that wasn't the worst of it. And the, there's, you know, you have to read the book for the, the whole deep, the full details, but it, it became a, a prolonged nightmarish experience, which meant we were able to explore, you know, not just how a football club's run and bought and governed, but what does it mean in, in this country to try and hold people to account? How can football fans have any input on the people that take over and run companies when we know so little about them? And no one, whether it's within football itself or within, you know, kind of the police or, or any other kind of branch of government seems particularly interested in stopping business owners going about their business. Um, and so we, we 
from there, we then spoke to people from football clubs all up and down the country, places that were trying to kind of found their own little clubs, places that are fan owned, you know, like um, uh, Wimbledon or Portsmouth, and kind of tracing stories of what it means for people to be part of their club and how they want to be and how in future they might be if there were a better version of, of what was on offer. Um, and that's kind of the high level bit. And I apologize if I've gone on a little bit. But there, um, Jay, do you want to kind of add to that? What can I add? Um, you've, you've, took it, you've took it all for me. Um, the, the, on one level, it's a sort of really personal sort of recollection of everything that happened. But we we tried to to tie it into broader points into what the story of Owner FC says about you know the wider governance of the sport. You know why was it allowed to happen? Why was there? Why is there such dissatisfaction amongst? supporters in general that this company was so popular from from the outset that, that what it was promising this sort of really granular level of control of a football club something in the wider industry is clearly very wrong for that to, to be attractive um and and on that on that personal point of view as martin says you'd have to go read it for the full story but it it, it was i think it's fair to say it was fairly life-changing for, for for both of us you know in 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 different respects um, you know, as Martin says, the, the the guy turned up at his doorstep, but I had my I had my own stuff going on at the time, which was uh, the um, you know you know my son was being born around the time, and and I, I really don't think there's been a, any point in my life where I've been so sort of like emotionally vulnerable, you know, and and yeah. to have all that going on at the at the time was a, a you know a, a really tough thing. But the the story as a whole, I think anyone with with any sort of interest in you know, either how clubs are run, or how the sport is going, we'll 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 certainly find something there. It's it's a it's a really interesting tale, you know, from start to finish. And and there's, you know, there the, the really is something in there for anyone who has sort of any interest in the sport at all, really. Yeah, it it seems to me that like it's almost like a microcosm or like a small scale study of football's dysfunction. Uh, we've all heard of the 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 various cases. I think one of the, the the best, and it's not funny, but looking back on it, um, cases of you know strange takeovers of clubs was up um, Notts County. Was it Monto Finance? Um, they, they employed you know various players that they just couldn't afford, and that was one of them. Then you know we've, we've had Steve Dale at Bury. You know Hereford went through the the mill. Obviously, we talked about it before recording about the, the missing millions at Northampton. But these are probably bigger cases. But in this sort of vacuum, I guess of governance. Owner FC came through, didn't it, Martin? It did, and, and you know you, your point is absolutely right. If if you sit down with any football fan and you say to them, like, tell me the ten weirdest or like most corrupt things that have happened in your football club, mm. that that's the end of the night gone. You know, like we spoke to Chesterfield fans, and the stories they can tell are just ludicrous. And it's the same. Yeah. You're like Morecambe or anywhere up and down the country. We spoke yeah. to Portsmouth fans and talking us through, you know, how do you end up being from where they are you know, with England internationals? And winning a trophy and then going bankrupt twice in two years it's absolutely astonishing and and i think there was there's a really good point made by someone who said to us that you know you as a fan of a club you know you're sat there and you know that there's something wrong and you're just waiting for david con to do his piece in the guardian 
And he's saying, you yeah. know, there's just like there's this bottleneck of attention. You know, that all of the football media are focused on, you know, the big six and, and these largely meaningless <laughs> European and, and league games. And everywhere up and down the country, there are clubs in crisis and the fans know it. And, you know, it can sometimes take years before that comes to public attention. And we are, whether it's a you know, Blackpool or, or, or um, Charlton. And then we had, um, so we're thinking about recently, um, Swindon. You know, the fans are, are looking into this. They are acting as the first line of defence as best yeah. they can, digging up details on people, trying their best to call them out in the local papers to desperately get the big, the national papers interested. And there's just too much of it. You know, like it, it, it's they're just constantly running around waiting for like five minutes of attention um, before it switches somewhere else. And it's just no way to run a club. So like, like Jay says, I think there's something in there for... Uh, most football fans will recognise at some point that their club has been in a situation like this where they were intensely vulnerable to kind of predatory people coming in for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, it's the ego or the prospect of maybe looking like Sunderland. People who thought, oh, we can buy that cheap. We can get up a couple of divisions, flip it for a massive profit. And so many times you know, there's this graveyard of owners who thought, how hard can it be to run a football club? We all reckon we could have a go. Yeah. And it just buries them one after the other. But the people that really pay the consequences, that you know, where it hits, it's the clubs going out of business or you know, just a terrible worry. You see what's happening at like, you know, like Oldham, where they are fighting for their lives. And it feels like they've made small progress this week with the owner saying, yes, he'll sell up. But you no, know, until it's agreed, until he's out the door and they can start to rebuild. It's still another like kind of you sent massive part of British history, British football history, kind of just hanging on by a thread, hoping they can still be here next year. It just it can't be allowed to happen. I think that's what we hope. You know, the bigger point is, is this. Uh, although I think also there's the the thing you speak to. There's so many fans out there who have something to say and something to contribute, and no means of doing that. You know, like um, there's a brilliant point made to us by uh, one of the guys from Portsmouth. He was, you know, like everything that the, the big clubs say about little clubs or about fan-owned clubs, about you know how badly run they'd be and how fans would just waste all the money and, and run the club into the ground. It's yeah. completely false. You know, the the Generally, fan-owned clubs are a model of long-term thinking and kind of prudent finance, and the stupid behaviour goes on you know, much above them by people who are answerable to nobody. And that yeah. is not a coincidence. It's something that has to change. I guess the, the long game is the more you effectively licence football, the more space there is for fan ownership because uh, people like Andy Holt at Accrington, philanthropic, philanthropic owners of clubs that have made a bit of money in the local community they're few and far between and people willing to throw their money down the drain on that level um you've got the obviously the cryptocurrency element but i think in between that there should be a, a role for uh, fan ownership in, in, in football and we'll, we'll see where that goes um we'll better wrap up soon we've been talking for a little bit but we'll give a little link or you can just tell us how to buy the book in a minute but just both of you can you sort of just talk a little bit about how um, we'll start with you, Martin. How writing the book has changed your life a little bit? It, it's you know it, it's been in one sense a massively uplifting thing because all the time when you speak to ordinary football fans about why they love the game and why they've got involved in it, what it means to them and their families, and it, it's amazing and powerful. But also you know then you hear about the disillusionment so many people have with their football clubs. Um, and how they feel excluded from those and how people, when they try to find new avenues for that, you know, get involved in their local non-league club, get involved in some coaching, how that can you know, reconnect them with football. It's amazing and wonderful. Um, and so that has been a, a just a heartening and, and, and quite beautiful experience. And, and working with someone on a book rather than writing myself 
working with Jay has been absolutely amazing. It's made it a much more pleasurable process. And then at back of it as well, like it's genuinely been kind of therapy for me. You know, like I alluded to earlier, you know, like I was kind of I was physically assaulted by by this guy, and and that had like I I wasn't I wasn't completely in the right frame of mind for a long time after that. And the the writing of the book and the publishing of it, feeling like we've been able to kind of turn that into hopefully a positive output um, from a personal perspective has has just been a, a really transformative thing. And I, I hope it will have at least some positive impact on other people. Sure. Hopefully there's some light at the end of the tunnel and you never know that your, you know, however small your uh, sort of block on these sort of things, you, you've, you've you've put up a fight against it and it, it might inspire other people to, you know, especially some investigative journalists to uh, take, take, take a bit of slack off you, you guys and uh, do a bit more work on that. But um, Jay, you've already alluded to it there. It sort of had a bit of a, an impact, a change on your life. You've, you know, you became a dad and everything. Um, how did it? Oh yeah. It, the, the whole, the whole project was, was, abs- was closure. You know, it, it was, it, it's it's you know for, for anyone who who hasn't read it or, or isn't able to read it you, you know we, we go into into a little bit of detail in a couple of chapters about about how and why this this was such a, a substantial experience for us and um one of the one of my own personal aims at the time and it was an aim that i, I wasn't able to com- to complete was was i personally wanted to help everyone involved get their money back you know that would have been a nice you know, a, a nice thing to do, and we did try to, um, you know, contact or look into um, how owner was investigated by, you know, by, by, the, by the police by fraud action, and, and and one of the things we, you know, we weren't able to do was get people their money back, and and at least to be able to tell the story, and to actually explain to people, well, look, this is this is what happened. You know, you paid your, your fifty quid or your hundred quid, and, and you know, I'm sorry, we couldn't get your money back. So we, we never made any promises, but we tried. And, yeah um you know at least we can we can tell people exactly what happened um and it is a it is you know a fairly complete this is exactly what happened you know there aren't there aren't many you know black holes there are a couple of things we we still weren't able to to find out but on the whole this is exactly what happened and anyone who did um you know put their money into own fc you know will you know hopefully at least themselves have some sort of closure um and and in terms of you know how it affected me well i've i've I'd never planned to write to to write a book until you know Martin says, "Do you want to write a book?" And, and <laughs> you know, I, I, I said to someone else, you know, the minute the minute that that message arrives in my DMs, you know, of course, yes, we're we're going to write a book. This is so obvious. Why have we not Why have we not spoke about this a couple of months ago? You know, and and it was a, it was a uh, it, it was a really nice way to end a pretty bad experience, you know, overall. And it's 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 been a lot of work. It's taken us a lot of time. Um, but you know, on the whole, I think I think we've both really enjoyed it, and uh, you know, hopefully the readers do too. I tell you what, if there's any Netflix executives listening, I can see this being turned into a little, uh, you know, a bit of a drama. Matthew McConaughey playing you, Jay. Will you take that? <laughs> I'll, I'll, t- I'll take that all day long. That'll do, yeah. I can't, you know, I'll take I Dustin Hoffman, Hoffman, whatever we've got. Yeah. Dustin He's, Hoffman. We'll I'll take find the other podcast audio only, you know, face for radio. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, honestly, I think it, just the story itself is just, um, it's got such an arc in it. So many different details, so much stuff going on um yeah definitely try and read it if you can can you give us um a link or, or you know a way of buying it essentially well um for uh, i would imagine a lot of people will find it quite easy to buy off amazon it's called fit and proper people the lies and fall of owner fc by martin caladine and james cave it's available 
Um, certainly online, at, at most good retailers, certainly Amazon, Waterstones, WH Smith, and Hive.co.uk. Um, if you can't find it on there, there's a link on both of our Twitter profiles, which is at Against League Free for me and at Ugly Game for Martin. That's cool. Hopefully, we'll get you a few more uh, more readers on that. Also available in a few bad bookshops as well. I hope you just uh, yeah. can't just be all good bookshops. Um, Jay, I can't let you go without talking a little bit about Against League Three um, and the uh, you know the football league trophy. It's a boycott. It's been going on for so long now. It's been going along for certain world wars. Um, the I found the the sadness of it is is that I've in the past I was sort of quite angry at the competition and the in position of the Premier League B teams, but now I'm just I I don't even know when a game's been played. I couldn't. I've just lost complete interest. I didn't even know what the t- the tournament was bloody called. Do you know what I mean, Jay? Yeah, it, it's sadly it still doesn't appear to be showing any signs of you know politely dying. Mm. Um, it, and it's and it has gone on for so. I think it was 2016 that the format was changed. And uh, I, I, do you know what? To to be to be brutally honest, personally, I'm I'm so worn down by it now because yeah. what I initially used to do was you know I used to do all of the research every day and every match day I was online and you know taking the mick out of it and you know working on engagement to get things like that and and you know to be fair to to anyone who's ever interacted with my Twitter you know everyone involved was great and and sort of all pulled together and. You know, we're all on the same lines, and we worked to get it trending and things like that. And um, and and honestly, thought at the time that that all that must cause some sort of shift at some point in in how the EFL sees things, and and you know, realizes that it's a dead rubber competition. Obviously, you, you both of yourselves, you know, Martin and, and and you, Tom, you know, you've obviously spoke about it at length, and you know, made great points over time. They've changed the rules, they've changed the prize money. No one's going. We've all looked at the tenancies and things like that, and and you know despite best efforts unfortunately not a lot has changed and i'm not i'm not really sure currently that it's going anywhere um i think the one big thing that that would change thing would be a you know two b teams in the final i think that would be at least interesting you know to yeah. see what the reaction to that is um you know both in terms of marketing in terms of reporting you know in terms of how the fans react and things like that i think that might cause a, a little bit of a change but sadly currently it doesn't really Look like it's going anywhere. We just have to put up with it for maybe a little bit longer. But but one day we live in hope. You know, we live in hope that one day, uh, one day things will get better. I mean, it's 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 tough. It, it's really interesting where it comes in in terms of you know, there's so much talk about the scheduling and calendars and fixtures and teams want to play less and some teams want to play more and you know where the money comes from and things like that. I I I honestly think the end result is it it, it will get scrapped. I think the league cup will also get scrapped. I think I think they're going to be the two. Uh, to eventual solutions to the uh, the quote-unquote fixture crisis that we have, or the scheduling of the calendar and things like that. Um, you know, we'd be interested. We've we've got a we've got a World Cup being played in December. You know, that's going to change so much as well. That's yeah. that's going to be real, yeah. real stickler for a lot of Premier League teams. But uh, you, you know, for for anyone who has, you know, supported that message, thank you so much. You know, for for six years, and we're not, we're not going anywhere. You know, we'll still keep trying. We'll still keep. Uh, you know, taking the mick out of it and 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 protesting, but uh, I think for the time being, we've still got a bit of work to do. Yeah, it's. Uh, I just find it perplexing that a football, uh, an industry that's you know supposed to be a business, football's a business. We told this all the time, football's a business, but the competition for me, the football league trophy, I literally do not know when a game has been played. 
I, you know, I, I'm, I'm quite probably like all of us, we're sort of nerds on our football club. Then we're interested in a lot of stuff about our football club. I don't know when these football league trophy games will be played. I don't know who we're playing. Um, you know, we all like cup football, but there's, there's, I'm just sort of flatlining on it. And how, how can, and I'm sure I'm not alone on that. How can that be good for business, how, let alone um, football integrity and, you know, football competition? It's just, if that's seen as an achievement by the organisers, well, you know, that's just ridiculous. But I don't think it would consider the campaign a failure, though. You know, that that is still going as a competition. I think the campaign has brilliantly delegitimised that competition. You know, like relentlessly week after week and all the other people who are associated with it have shown up for the ludicrous charade it is so that you know we we all you know we know we, when there's you know we see players in their 30s playing or we're laughing about the size of the crowds or making jokes about pizzas you know like yes it hasn't been cancelled but it's been a lightning rod for discontent and and it's a joke of a competition and and, and the the attendances show that so mm. you know I, I still think there's a lot of work everyone should be very proud of there yeah yeah that's for sure and Often with a campaign like this or a protest, whatever you want to call it, there are dormant periods where you just you do feel completely disillusioned, but then something will, will spark it up and we'll all, all spark into life again. But we better wrap up now. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, I'll sort of reiterate that it's a really good book to buy if anyone's listening, want to um, just buy a copy and um, we'll all talk again soon. Thanks a lot. Oh, thanks, Mark. Thanks, Pleasure. Tom. Cheers. Thanks Cheers so much. Let, yeah. So, yeah, let's move on from Jeff's tales of chips in um, goals wherever you play to um little new feature we're going to do um we're gonna, what we're going to call it guess that cobbler we'll go with guess that cobbler it's martin maloney's slugger maloney's idea he's gonna um talk us through or just sort of list off a career of a cobbler's player unnamed and we have to guess just through the clubs he's played for and his career path uh which one it is and that could potentially be quite hard um martin are you ready to go mate um Okay then, so I've uh, got a couple here, so I'll just pick one of them out by random. Okay then, so first player, born in Ormskirk in England, started at Falmouth Town, scored four goals in three games. Oh, uh, nice. Then moved to Exeter, got the big move to Exeter City, where he scored 13 goals in 65 games. Then moved on to Swansea City. Uh, played 102 times, scored 10 goals. Moved to Walsall, played 76 times, got 13 goals. Then the goal starts to dry up. He went to Gillingham, played 52 games, just the one goal. Then came to Northampton Town on loan, made one appearance, followed by a permanent move where he made 59 appearances, scoring two goals before departing to Kidderminster Harriers. Wow, that's pretty hard. Has anyone got it off the bat? Just don't say here it is. If you think you've got it, just let us know. Because I'm. This is a lot harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know whether I ought to chuck in rough years as well. Yeah, go on, give us a year because I'm so, so, jo so he joined. So he joined Northampton Town in 2000. Oh, this is this is Jake Moore territory. 2000. This is my uh, darker years when I was at uni. Um. When you say Walsall, all I can think of is um, Charlie Nuttermark. <laughs> <laughs> From our chat earlier about f and &E lad. I'm sure yeah, he's... probably would it Walsall just after Charlie and Tamak, I think, with the pronunciation. Yeah. Roger Bolly. That's a what Walsall. Uh, were you working at this point, Jeff? Is this, is this, you were working with the Con at this point? No, no, no. 
Um, 2000. Well, when did he leave the Cobblers? Because I was. Uh, I started... 2003, he signed for Kidderminster and he was a winger. Oh, is it John Hodge? It is John Hodge. Oh, well done. Yes. Yeah. I was thinking, um, I was going to say, you know, because that was the year of like your Richard Greens and Jerry Gills and people like that. Yes. That's, that's where I was going with it. But yeah, as soon as you said the winger, I knew it. Okay. Okay. I think this one may be a, t- may be a tad easier if you want to go with another. Okay. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. Okay. Born in New Westminster, British Columbia. <laughs> Started okay. off. Uh, at Winnipeg Fury scored yeah, I've got this goals. already <laughs> yeah I thought this one might be easier 10 goals in 24 games before going to the Vancouver 86ers uh, 7 in 24 so is there two teams in Vancouver is it 86ers and Whitecaps it would appear so, although 93 I think the Whitecaps were kind of reformed when um, oh. when Major League, Major League Soccer started so yeah pass. I knew you would know <laughs> um, <laughs> the Cambridge United, um, 105 games, 39 goals. Uh, Plymouth Argyle, 23 goals in 74 games. Northampton Town, joined in 1998, 30 goals in 78 games. Four departing to Oldham Athletic. And interestingly enough, as I, fuck, as I go down, finished his career at aforementioned Vancouver Whitecaps. He did. And he uh, has been on this podcast, Martin. Paul oh, yes. <laughs> Hubert. You know when he played for Oldham, he made the news because he the the mascot is it is it an owl? The Oldham mascot. Yes. Um, he the rhino flagged the owl as offside, thinking it was him. <laughs> like he saw someone running up the line in a blue shirt and flagged, and it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it made the news that like the mon- the Monday when they did like the football roundup. What one owler that was by the line. Hey. <laughs> I think yeah, it's got to be Carlo Corrigan, hasn't it, Slugger? It it certainly is. It certainly is. That was um, uh, if you think so, they signed him in '98. That's having gone from having you know strikers such as Jason White. And the Christian Lee, that's quite an upgrade there, wasn't it? It certainly then, is. It certainly you know, is. Some cash had come into the building, it feels like, at that point. Yeah, and he, um, on the um, podcast, when I did the interview with him, he was quite open that Cobblers gazumped Watford. Wow. He was between Watford and Northampton, he and he was signing for Watford, and then a call came in. Ian Atkins wants to speak to you, you know. Bloody hell. He's like, okay, and he was like, again like, soon. Yeah, and he was like, well, I've got a young family, you know, Cobblers did seem like a team on the up. This is this is a crazy sort of world we were living in when mm. Cobblers are considered quite a progressive club, really. Um, and he, it wasn't just the money, he just thought this is, a, you know, the best deal, the money, the Cobblers are doing well. And, and, and as we know, Watford weren't like a, they obviously had a quite a rich history, but at the, at the time we were going toe to toe with Watford. I remember drawing their, mm. their place in about 1998 or 99 or whatever. So yeah, he chose Northampton. And I just, as soon as he said that, I just thought, felt so sorry for him. I was just like, mate, <laughs> mate, you've backed the wrong oars, haven't you? <laughs> oh, Carlo. But um, yeah, I've, I've just quickly done one myself because we got that far too quickly. Um, I'll do one myself to add to the list of guests at Cobbler. Um, this was a team I didn't even know existed. 
this is another player and you see if you can get you, I'll put it back on you Martin um first club 1989 to 90 Roundtree McIntosh uh then he joined Doncaster Rovers I think I know who this is already but I won't say oh, so okay. do I. yeah if so you've got I. it too easy so yeah. let the other two get it York City played one game Chesterfield 15 games zero goals this isn't a really good goal record to be fair no no been around a bit in northern football Gateshead 14 and three goals I've got and, a friend uh, who um one of my best mates at university is from Chesterfield. He actually supports Sheffield Wednesday, but he supports Chesterfield as well. Yeah. And he he consistently maintained and still maintains today that this player was shite. And obviously they weren't, you know. Yeah. We'll, we'll see when it's the big reveal. <laughs> It'd be funny if you got it completely wrong. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that wasn't him. Sorry. <laughs> you just said he's shite for Chesterfield. Well, to be fair, the goal record of 15 games yeah. and zero goals is not Speaks for suggested itself. Absolute goal scorer. But um, we've also got, yeah, Gateshead, then Boston United. That probably be a bit of a giveaway if you know your your history. 80 games and 31 goals. Obviously started scoring quite regularly. And then he joined then he joined Northampton, where in which he scored 31 goals in 120 games, which doesn't sound a lot, but some crucial uh, goals amongst those. I can remember a couple of them myself. Apart from Jeff, anyone else got it? Uh, I think fee? I have. Was it, was it a club record fee he paid for him at the time? I doubt it. Very much doubt it. Shall we? Ch- can I chuck a name in? Yeah, you can chuck a name in. Is it Andy Kirk? No, no, so it's not. Or... This is because the uh, the I haven't really given you the date, so it's probably yeah Boston. Uh, yeah, Boston. Andy Kirk played for Boston, didn't he? But it's not Andy Kirk. I'll give you. Are you, you still know who it is, Jeff? I think so. Was he signed? In the famous John Barnwell summer of non-league signings, when everyone said this is going to be like the um, the Graham Carr team all over again, it could well have been '94. Sounds about John Barnwell, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. All time. Who did he play for after us? That will give it away. I'll give you. I'll give you one of the teams he played for after us because it will give it away too much. Uh, Hereford. Eleven goals. No, sorry. Yeah, eleven goals in twenty-four games for Hereford. Any closer, you guys? He was a striker. Yeah. I'm going to say Neil Grayson. Yes. Well done, Martin. Yeah. If I'd have said Cheltenham Town, that would have given it away. In fact, yeah. he played for Forest Green yeah. as well, uh, Northampton's opponent. I remember, the, I remember the Roundtree Macintosh thing as well. Is that the sweet manufacturers? Yeah, well, a lot of these places did have to work. <coughs> Started off as work teams, didn't they? I mean, effectively, that's what. Diamonds were, weren't they initially? Well, if Timkin had a team, didn't they? You know, if Andy well, Roberts didn't put some sort of sweet uh, pun in whenever uh, Neil Grayson scored, he'd uh, he's missed out on a trick there. But obviously, a club legend at Cheltenham did really well there. Played for Forest Green, as I said, and Stafford Rangers, Glapwell. These are all sort of northern, you know, northern smaller teams. Carlton, Hena, Sutton Town, isn't that? Um, I think he played right up into his 50s. Is that right? Great yeah, player. Yeah. Got better with age. <laughs> Jeff, did you have to try and have the sort of a debate with your mate that's saying that he was actually pretty good? Yeah, I, 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 I did. I would, I would con- constantly be defending Neil Grayson. And actually, um, funny, well, not particularly funny or interesting story. I, um, when I was writing for Wallach, back in the, my days in sixth form and I was at Booth Lane College, 
for me my media studies a level i had to you had to make a magazine and i made a magazine um which was completely devoted to neil grayson um was a it was a it was like fanzine style but a fanzine just for neil grayson I re, i'd love to if i could find it again and it was called uh, the fanzine title was shut that door because his nickname was larry larry <laughs> grayson's catchphrase was shut that door um <laughs> I'd love to read it now to see what see what it's like, but I did get an A, so it must have been all right. This is a quite a niche fanzine, I would say, um, Jeff. It almost went towards Alan Partridge's crazy fan territory, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was a fantastic player. Um, and actually, you do get that though, don't you? You get you get these people who are fans of players rather than um, you know, like you think of Bayo, he's got quite a big fan base. And I remember Jeremy Casey in the Cron writing when you guys covered whoever we were playing. And he said, guys, some kid had gone there to what, he was from somewhere else in the country, travelled especially to see Josh Lowe. Because he was a fan <laughs> of Josh that. Lowe, not not a football club. So it, it does happen. Yeah. It's, you know, it's fair enough. There's a kid but, that used to follow Josh Lowe around the country. Yeah. Well, well why I not? I, I wonder what's happened though. to him now. He's, he's probably a senior member of the Tory cabinet, I would think. Maybe he's following his law career. Maybe he's a big fan of his law work he does. I don't know, but it could have yeah. been worse. He could have been, you know, sniffing glue or stealing cars or whatever. Nothing so wrong you, with you, being a Josh Lowe's at some, uh, some, like, industrial tribunal and there's just some some random bloke in the crowd, like, with a, a Josh Lowe <laughs> scarf on. In the gallery. In the crowd, not in the crowd, just, just attending it, you know, just watching it and, and just follows him to all his cases. I quite like the idea of that. But if, if if my kids said to me, you know, you know, Dad, I'm uh, I'm a real fan of Josh Lowe and I'm going to follow him around the country. I think I'd rather he was sniffing glue, to be honest, um, Ian. <laughs> but it, it could be worse. He could be doing fanzines about um, Neil Grayson. So you know, at least <laughs> we got to. Oh, <laughs> How many pages did you fill with um, Neil Grayson content? Jeff? I'm not sure. Um, and. I think it was only like 12 pages or something, but I'm, I can't, I have no poss- I have no memory at all of what was in it because I didn't, I certainly didn't interview him. I, I know that for a fact. So it would have just been, I don't know, you know, maybe there was like a feature on his five best goals and stuff like that. But the weird thing of that is, I mean, I was there. There's a lot weird um, with it, Jeff. I just have to say, there's a lot weird with it, but we'll, we'll carry Yeah, on. there is a, I, I'm going to, right, next time I'm at my mum and dad's, I'm going to go in the loft and see if it's still there, see if they've got a copy of it. Um, but I, so I finished there in 96, so he wasn't even really, I mean, he was doing well then, but his best year was still ahead of him, maybe 96, 97, you'd say. Mm. Um, so it was, I mean, I was an, I was an early adopter on it, I suppose you'd say, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would love to read it now. I bet it's, I bet it's shite. I bet it's, I bet the writing's terrible. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to try to find it. Was there a page of like you'd got a, like a picture of Neil Grayson in, in his civvy clothes, and then you did like different looks for Neil Grayson, like different fashion looks on him? Different. Like, there probably would have like been that because that was like you know cut his head out and put it on other bodies and things. Yeah, it would have been. It would have just page. been a what? Like a puzzle, puzzle page. page yeah. a word search, and all the words yeah. are just Neil or Grayson. <laughs> <laughs> Larry, Larry. It would have been just any kind of like typical fanzine content, like the tropes that you would get in fanzines at that time, just adapted to relate to this one player. 
when the con used to run that N Junior feature to try and yeah. attract young fans? Did you used to write that, Jeff? Um, I think it was provided by. Was club. it not provided by the club? Because it would have like a picture of them in training. It'd be like I don't know, trying to think who would have been around at the time. It'd be like Scott McLeish, and it'd say like. Yeah. I think it was provided Kirk. by the club, to be honest. And they'd be I like, coming. It'd be a photo of them in training, and it'd have speech bubbles like, um, yeah, putting words in their mouth like, "Remember, kids, it's important to eat a balanced diet." <laughs> yeah, and that'd be. Well, I don't think Scott that. Please did really say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, um, I think that we should have a meeting between you and Neil Grayson, and you can just hand this. Um, <laughs> and this fanzine over, you'll sit together in a pub. We could do like a feature for uh, 414 and just see what his reaction is reading the pages. What, what, you I, did, that, um, I did actually achieve a life ambition and did interview him while I was at the Cron because he came back to play in a game. And I can't remember what the game was someone's testimonial or anniversary of Wembley, uh, the 97 Wembley, or something like that. And he was still playing at the time and he was about 50. And he was playing in the same team as one of his sons. And his son was like 28. <laughs> it wasn't like it was a kid, you know. Um, but yeah, he was. And I, I remember the feature I wrote about him was that he'd forgotten to retire, which I was quite proud of that line. In retrospect, wasn't actually that great. But yeah, I did actually get to meet him. Which Doing was nice. now based on his life now. I think, I don't know, I'm sure he's not playing now. How old is he now, no. Tom? What's, what's profile in present? Um, yeah, let me have a look. I think, um, yeah, that would be good. You got to do a follow up, like what yeah. Neil Grayson, you know, does after football, like just a little, uh, little novella, I think. Um, right, I've got Sutton Town AFC's Wikipedia page. You talk about a wormhole, nicknamed the Snipes. Nice nickname. Um, he did. He's fifty-seven. He's probably still oh. playing for someone. Yeah, he'll be still playing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He. Um, yeah, I saw him come back again. He's been back a few times, and it was a charity game. I remember Calvin Thomas played, so he must have been in, you know, relatively oh, wow. recently. And he was still like chasing the ball, like you know, on the shoulder of the defenders. He scored quite a good goal. Just, um, yeah, just one of those. Got at the time when he got sold or he left, people thought, I, oh, you know, he's past his best. Jeff obviously yeah. weeped into his uh, tattered pages of his fanzine, but it, it he was, was like, actually um, let go too soon. When, sorry, go on. I was just going to say it was like when um, when Newcastle sold Andy Cole to to um, to Manchester United. I went down to Sixfields and Barry Stonehill was on the steps like, explaining to me why he had done it and what a good deal it was for the club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, one of our future upcoming specials is um, Jeff and Neil Grayson meeting and they can just go through word for word what um, <laughs> Jeff wrote. It won't be at all awkward, Jeff. You just have to front it up. Absolutely Don't worry not. about it. Impressionable young guy. Yeah, on that bombshell, let's uh, let's wrap up for the the evening. This podcast is slowly morphing into a Grange Hill podcast. So in a few weeks' time, we'll, yeah, we'll just be talking about Roland and uh, and that lot. But um, take it easy, guys, and we'll speak again soon. Take Cheers, care. all. See you soon. Cheers, guys. Cheers, bye. Bye, bye. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.